Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about packing the Supreme Court. So grab your Supreme Court vacancy. And let's get civical. Everybody. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I'm Arden Walentowski. And today it's so it's so hard because I feel like we are both sad and reflective. Obviously, yep. this is the first episode we are recording since the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which, as all of you know, if we were such huge fans of and it's really sad and you know just a, a toast to ruth for everything that she did for us and anything to add arden <laughs> i i yeah i you know it's my, hard to like just talk about it you it's know it's hard, hard to describe the yeah. impact that she had well also because you know for the longest time whenever it was like you know, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been released from the hospital and she's beaten, you know, cancer for mm. the 1800th time. Like every – or like remember when she fell and everybody was like – Oh, my God, yeah. Who, who fell asleep on the job? You had one right. job was to keep her safe right. and whole and wrapped in bubble wrap. You know, like mm-hmm. we spent so many – especially this, you know, the last four-ish years of Trump basically like – praying and wishing and hoping whatever you know for her to hold on and it just but also like in a joking way and so it's like in a way i always thought that like obviously she's gonna die someday but i never felt you just never felt like it was imminent right yeah no it was it was it was a total surprise total surprise you know it was a total surprise and a total it's such a loss it's such a great loss for so many reasons and she like and her family too like i feel like you know, all of the, the postings on the Instagrams, Twitters, all of that stuff is like what she meant for the country and all that. And I just, I'm also like, but her, you know, her surviving yeah. family members, like they're losing their, I don't know, grandma, their mom, mom their like, aunt, their you know, aunt, yeah. like, she, you know, she had, you know, family and stuff too. And so I don't know. It's hard. It's hard, but it's hard. 
And now, you know, Trump gets to nominate somebody new and... And we'll sort of go through that nomination process with you (laughs) and we will just update you as we have updates. (laughs) But, you know, I'm just kind of like... I think, you know, the reason why we're doing this, this episode topic today is because, you know, the moment that she passed, like this... This, I mean, this subject has come up a lot yep. in in sort of, like, recent, I feel like, arguings, but also, like, FDR, <laughs> LOL. But, like, it, she passed, and then this was immediately on the forefront of, like, people's, you know, thoughts again. So I'm really glad that we're doing it sort of, like, <laughs> to just take it to examine it. So today we're going to be talking about packing the court, yep. you know, which is basically the adding... Supreme Court justice seats to to the nine. What does that look like? What does that mean? It's, you know, it is not it is not new to RBG's passing. It is something that has been actually like, you know, talked about throughout history. It has, yeah, but, it has a long history. Yeah, it does. Have, it's a crazy long history. But with it, you know, it's just been uh, brought into the fold again with the passing of RBG. So let's I want to we're going to learn about it. And see what it actually means and if we actually want to do it or not. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to make a decision at the end of this episode. Oh, fantastic. And then you you mm-hmm. tell the world what you want, Lizzie. And then I'm going to I'm gonna report to Congress and be yep. like, you know what? This is what we're going to do, as I always do. Yeah. Um, for sure. As yep. you know, I'm very established in this country. So let's start off where we always start off, which is sort of like a, a little uh, bread rock, a ground ground plan a a foundation of of knowledge for where once we will build a house upon and oh my god we have so many sources i really yeah there's a lot of sources in this one do you want to do you want to talk about the sources yeah so okay so various this is all coming from history.com Smithsonian Magazine, there's an article by William E. Lechtenberg, our friends at Britannica, the Federal Judicial Center, a really great article about kind of plans, various plans to reform SCOTUS uh, that's in the Atlantic, uh, written by Ryan D. Dorfler and Sam Moyne. There's a WAPO article that I pulled some stuff from, the Constitution Center, our tried and true friends. And then an article from Brookings by Russell Wheeler. So, like, there's a lot of stuff in here. And we'll <laughs> the try. The gang is all here. <laughs> the gang is all here. I mean, mainly it's because, like, I did a bunch of background stuff, but then I also wanted to bring it because packing the court has been talked a lot. Like, we've talked a lot about it over the course yeah. of this presidential election cycle. And so I think it's, it's like, you know, apropos that we do a little bit more, like, we highlight the current thinking about packing the court of course so all of the the articles and the sources that have names attached to them generally are like about more current things right yeah and yeah so before we jump in just saying like a great companion piece to this i would think would be a history of the supreme court our supreme court episode that we did many moons ago if you haven't listened to that and you want to learn more about just like how the supreme court functions in general i say Go take a look at that, for sure. For sure. But let's start off with just a little bit of background on SCOTUS so we can build a house on this foundation. So all of this is coming from history.com, which we love. Now, going back 
to the parchment, the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution established the Supreme Court, but left it to Congress to decide how many justices should make up the court. So it is not written anywhere that there needs to be nine. That is a, that is what we've decided on. The Judiciary Act of 1789, excellent year for us. Mm -hmm. Great vintage. Great vintage. Set the number at six, a chief justice and five associate justices. In 1807, Congress increased the number of justices to seven. In 1837, the number was bumped up to nine. And in 1863, it rose to ten. At one point, it was ten. That's ten. crazy. Crazy. At one point, we had ten. Which is also stupid because you're going to split. Even numbers. Even, Even numbers like, are not you, what you need. <laughs> no, no, no. We need to odd numbers here only. This is right. An odd I'm like, what did you situation. do if it was five and five? Right. Like, what do you do? Where do you go from here? <laughs> So in 1866, Congress passed the Judicial Circuits Act, which shrank the number of justices back down to seven and prevented an- <laughs> prevented enemy of the show, President Andrew Johnson, <laughs> from appointing anyone new to the court. So, <laughs> so this is the pettiest shit. I love that. You know, I love this. So <laughs> President Andrew Johnson, wet blanket of the show, was the president and Congress is like, I'm literally going to make sure you cannot yep. appoint justices. I'm going to, that was, that was a law. That was an act <laughs> that they put Ben Debarchina for. That's some petty shit. It's I love some that petty so much. Shit. I know. That is I love so that. warranted. That's yep. so warranted. I love that. So we've gone from six to seven to nine to 10. Now we're at seven again. Three years later, in 1869, Congress raised the number of justices to nine, where it has stood ever since. So since 1869, we've had nine justices. Yep. Long time. Long long, time. It's a long time. It's a long time. So it feels very much like this is how we've always done it and how could we possibly change it. Right. You could. You could change it. They have. And they have they changed have. it. And they have changed it multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It is one of those things where it's like, I feel as though it does feel like one of those things that is in the Constitution of like nine people will sit in the highest court of the li- Like, how else do we get to the number nine? Yeah. This is my numbers thing again. It's like, it's like, who was it that was like, you know what? It should be nine. Was it Fred? It was definitely Fred. It was his idea. (laughs) It was his idea. It was. Yep. So let's talk about FDR's plan to pack the court. So this is part of our, this episode is also, it's a a double whammy because it's, we're talking Mm -hmm. about packing the court and kind of as a response to the death of RBG, because here we are once again in a situation where we're going to get a new Supreme Court justice at some point in the very near future. But we're also, you know, linking this to our new deal series because this FDR, you know, set this court packing plan in place because he wanted to protect the the programs that he had started from being invalidated by the Supreme Court and declared unconstitutional. And his response to that, because the court had been doing just that, his response <laughs> was to say, 
okay, just let me add more people and let me pack the court with my people. <laughs> I mean, I see a problem. I offer a solution. Yes. Once again, FDR just, hey, I, I got to appreciate the taking the swing. Yes. Yes. You know, I'm like, give it give it a go. If it's dude. in the strike zone, take a swing, take a swing. Give it a go. Give it a go. Because again, it's a recession. Yeah. It is the great depression. Yeah. I'm not being I'm not like being hyperbolic. That's what they called it. That's they what looked they call at it and they were like, this is great. Yep. This is great. And he's just like, let's get out of the recession. Yep. And a let's not have anything get in the way of that. Yeah. He just, I mean, he's taking swings. He's taking swings. He's like, he's he went down fighting. Like sure. he 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 tried. So really. the so the law that he proposed, and it was like kind of unexpected. People didn't really he kept like playing down this idea that he was gonna do this, and then kind of at the last minute he proposed this bill, and people were like, oh, 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 oh no. So, oh, go, go, gosh. So the proposed law, which was known as the Judicial Procedures Reform Bill of 1937. Also, try saying, I can't even say it once. Judicial Procedures Reform Bill. Judicial Procedures Reform Bill. See, it's so easy. It's so, I can't do it. You make it rolls off the tongue. And I can't read. So it's, you know, it's even harder. These could be any words. Oh, my goodness. So, yes, the Judicial Procedures Reform Bill of 1937 would have added one justice to the court for each justice over the age of 70. <laughs> I mean, what a petty. fucking game. I love we would it. Have, we would have, I would say, three, two yeah. to three. Yeah. So they would. it would have added one justice to the court for each justice over the age of 70 with a maximum of six additional justices. <laughs> like, so I just you love it. I just you can't love add it. nine. <laughs> oh my god, he's like, let me double the number of people I have on my team. This is all coming from the Constitution Center too. So they say, while the idea may seem outlandish today, President Roosevelt must have felt the bill stood a good chance of success. I mean, you would sure. think you would think he would propose something that he didn't think would fail. Yeah, sure. He shot. He thought he had a shot. Yeah, he thought he had a shot. The president used one of his famous fireside chats via radio on March 9th, 1937 to make his case to the American people. So this is this is a quote from Roosevelt, quote, this plan of mine is not attacking of the court. It seeks to restore the court to its rightful and historic place in our system of constitutional government and to have it resume its high task of building anew on the constitution a system of living law hashtag living law let's bring hashtag living law hashtag living law the court itself can best undo what the court has done said roosevelt (laughs) he also claimed more justices were needed to handle the court's caseload he's like they're overworked they couldn't possibly (laughs) i mean for sure. Yeah. It's a lot. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. And they, they like, like all of the programs that he put in place were being challenged in court, and some of them were being overturned. Like, he was very nervous. However, many Americans believed that the Supreme Court was sacrosanct, and opposition to the plan was, like, building steadily in Washington and also around the country. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't assured that the, that the proposed law, the Judicial Reform Act of 1937, would even make it out of committee for a vote on the Senate floor. So he really thought that he had a lot more support for it than he yeah. did. 
because people, yeah, I think people like were they really didn't want to see the New Deal programs. It wasn't that they wanted to see them go away, but what they held in more importance was this: like you don't mess with the court. Like if you start messing right. with the court, like you're just you're undermining the importance of the court. And so they didn't like that he was just right. like, all right, let's just add six people to protect these programs. I mean, and I get that. Yeah. I, I, I do genuinely get that. That's yeah. like, that's where my sort of, um, I think dilemma comes with packing the court is because, because I, I think like it, it's a hard to get your mind wrapped around the fact that like nine is an arbitrary number yeah. that was decided in 1879 yeah. and not in the constitution, yeah. you know? That Congress does have the power to add seats, and I do, for, and I do genuinely believe that, like, we as the country should continue to evolve how our government functions instead of being like, well, this is how we did it in 1784, because like everything about America is different from that yeah. time, and we simply must evolve with that. But at the same time, I also don't necessarily agree with the idea of like, let me make a, a, a huge structural change simply to to make this one like thing succeed yeah. you know like this this one individual piece of po- part political partisan you know legislation succeed and i'm talking about the new deal which like obviously you know i support what he was trying to do but i can see the argument of like is that a good enough reason to pack the courts right for just this one thing, right. you know, like what you, I need, a, I need a larger scope, yeah. you know, like personally, I think we should, if we're going to add justices, I think it should be on the basis of like, does that mean more cases can be heard and more decisions can be met? You yeah. know, um, does that, I think it would allow the potential to have like the more seats that we have the potential to continue to diversify the court. Yeah comes into play in a way that I think is incredibly important. I think, I do think that having more, I I certainly don't think there's any harm in having more masters of the constitution Mm. taking a look at cases. I think getting more, you know, like more eyes on it, more eyes on it, you know, and not in a way that like means too many cooks in the kitchen, but in a way that is like, you know, right now we have nine people who decide what the Constitution means in regards to, you know, this case or that case or whatever. You know, is it harmful to add two additional experts on constitutional <laughs> law and law in general to that conversation? Yeah. Or will it allow for a, a, a continual diversity of the minds? Yep. To happen, yep. and that's that's my very smart statement. I think that's I think that's uh, beautifully eloquent. Thank you so beautifully much. <laughs> eloquent. Well put. Your your BFA from NYU is really shining through. I, I'm a star. <laughs> I'm a star. Really good. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. I think it's I it's something that I struggle with, and I I feel like no matter when it happens, it will always feel reactionary. Sure. Because sure. if it was working properly well, for we both need it. sides you wouldn't need it right so like yeah. yeah 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 and i think for a period of time or there there have been periods where there have been nine justices where for the most part people felt like those who are on the court did a good job about separating out their 
you know, political persuasions, their predilections, their preferences from like right. what their duty was. And I think now we just, it is very clear on, on both sides, like who the, you know, the conservative and the liberal justices are. Right. And, and, right. you know, if you get into that, it's like, you know, of course it's going to be, it will feel reactionary because yep. it will feel like, well, you just want to replace this person with this type of person because you want to sway the court your way. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> But I think the thing about this idea of, you know, packing the court is because of just how the Supreme Court works, no matter what, yeah, at some point it will benefit both sides. Yeah. Because like the, the Supreme Court has gone from being majority liberal yeah. to majority conservative yeah. to majority liberal. Like it has swung yes. throughout history. Yes. So at some point, because that's just kind of how history works, we've talked about this before, we sort of move in a circle. Yep. It will swing to benefit the other party side. Yes, because you because know? you won't always have like because the the party politics of the president will switch out and the party politics yes. of the Senate will switch out. So it's by definition, you know, it it is a delayed circle because all of those mm-hmm. things are things that happen, you know, before you get to a Supreme Court nomination, and right. and then. You know, and then those and their lifetime appointments. And so those people stay. And so you do end up with this kind of, you know, weird balance where you have somebody on the court who's who was appointed by, you know, Clinton and and people who were appointed by Trump. And it's like a totally different era, you know, of yeah, of Supreme Court and of politics just in general. Yep. Yep. For sure. So the rest of this, just to talk a little bit more about FDR's plan, the rest of this is coming from the Federal Justice Center. So Roosevelt's, like we said, Roosevelt's motive for packing the court was pretty clear. He wanted to shape the ideological balance of the court so that it would cease striking down his New Deal legislation. He was very angry about it. So and as a result, the plan was widely and vehemently criticized, basically for the reasons that we just talked about. Like people felt like it was really reactionary. The law was never enacted by Congress, uh, the Judicial Procedures Act of 1937, and Roosevelt lost a great deal of political support for having proposed it. People really judged him for trying to, like, sure, pack the court, pack the court and, like, pack his own agenda and, you know. Shortly after the president made the plan public, however, the court upheld several government regulations of the type it had formally found unconstitutional. So it had found... There were two big programs that they that the court overturned. And so in the National Labor Relations Board versus Jones and Laughlin Steel Corporation, the court upheld the right of Fed of the federal government to regulate labor management relations pursuant to the National Labor Relations Act, which was a New Deal Act, which we should cover. We haven't mm-hmm. talked about that one. Oh yeah. But like this is the type of thing, like the fact that they upheld this, but they previously overturned <laughs> A case that basically said you have to pay you have to pay women and children for work that they're doing. Like they turned that case down. <laughs> of course but they the, did. But this, this is case, not my favorite SCOTUS. <laughs> no, no, no. But this, but this case, they were like, sure, the government could regulate labor, labor management relations between employer and employees. Of course, that's constitutional. Like there was a after he tried to pack the court, there was a kind of a reversal within the court, and it's it's debated like how much impact the 
the court packing thing had on the court's reversal. And really, it was just Mm -hmm. like this one justice. So it's a quote from the Federal Justice Center. Many have attributed this and similar decisions to a politically motivated change of heart on the part of Justice Owen Roberts, often referred to as the switch in time that saved nine Okay, we love a rhyme. We love a rhyme. Okay, Dr. Seuss. I love it. So good. Some legal scholars have rejected this narrative, however, asserting that Robert's 1937 decisions were not motivated by Roosevelt's proposal and can instead be reconciled with his prior jurisprudence. So, like, I don't know. It's debated. It's debated. Like, I don't know how I feel about it. Like, it just, if you look at, like what these other cases were about that they overturned and invalid like they invalidated these programs like I don't see how you justify then voting for this labor relations for the National Labor Relations Board but I am not a constitutional scholar so okay you could have fooled me <laughs> could have fooled me <laughs> maybe one you are day my oyes my oyes oh yay oh yay maybe one day I'll put it on my bucket list constitutional Perfect. scholar at your service. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons and Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out the Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Find the Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about why FDR wanted to pack the court. Let's dive into that. So this is more about like... The, the New Deal stuff that he was having some issues with in regards to the Supreme Court. Yeah. And this is coming from Botanica and Smithsonian Magazine, which we love. So in the 1936 election, Roosevelt, aided by his reform program, formed a coalition that included liberals, people of color, farmers, trade unionists, and the elderly. He easily defeated the Republican nominee for president, <laughs> Governor Alfred Alf, in parentheses, M. Landon of Kansas, receiving more than 60% of the popular vote and the electoral votes of every state except Maine and Vermont. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's quite the sweep. Yeah. The Democratic majorities in the House and the Senate were also strengthened. So they've got the trifecta, the Holy Trinity, the, the you know. The they yeah he could they, one he, two and three <laughs> yeah I mean that's why he thought like he could get it through that's why right. he thought he had support because he like just got reelected on this big huge sweeping win yeah and they've got both houses of the of Congress and so he was like of yeah. course of course they're gonna want to do this of course they're gonna want to protect this hey what I got in a way if it wasn't for that meddling scoters meddling children and you know the dog too viewing his decisive victory as an electoral mandate for continued reform. Roosevelt sought to neutralize the Supreme Court, which in 1935 had invalidated several early New Deal reform measures and now seemed about to strike down the Wagner Act and the Social Security Act. Yeah. Big ones. Big ones. From the outset of his president, this is coming from Smithsonian Magazine now. From the outset of his presidency, FDR had known that four of the justices, Pierce Butler, James McReynolds, George Sutherland and Willis Van Devanter. Woof, what a would, name. 
I know. Willis Van Devanter. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It really rolls off the tongue. It really does. They would have voted to invalidate almost all of the New Deal. So he's going in and he's like, you four yeah. are not on the team. No. They are not on the team. They are team anti-New Deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were referred to in the press as, oh my God. I know, quote, so dramatic. Four horsemen. God. <laughs> it's so dramatic. Come on. Hey, like, come on. Uh, the four horsemen, good one, press. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a New York Post headline if I ever saw it. I know. One. <laughs> the four horsemen. Get a grip. So they're referred to as the four horsemen after the allegorical figures of the apocalypse associated with death and destruction. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. In the spring of 1935, a fifth justice, Hoover appointee Owen Roberts, at 60, the youngest man on the court, began casting his swing vote with them to create a conservative majority. So a real John Roberts of his day. Yep. During the next year, these five judges, occasionally in concert with others, especially Chief Justice Charles Evan Hughes, struck down more significant acts of Congress, including two foundation stones, the National Recovery Administration, and the Agricultural Adjustment Administration than any other time in the nation's history before or since. So they're striking, they're striking, and everybody's like, you're striking too much, it's unnatural. Too much. There's I un- can't handle all of the striking. striking. The striker, no striking. Like, stop. The Supreme Court struck down the Agricultural Adjustment Administration under Secretary of Agriculture Henry Wallace to effect a, quote, domestic allotment plan that would subsidize producers of basic commodities for cutting their output. Its goal was the restoration of prices paid to farmers for their goods to a level equal in purchasing power to that of 1909 to 1914, which was a period of comparative stability. So they're trying to make the farmer stable yeah. and have money. Yeah. And the Supreme Court was like, no. Yeah. They were no, like, no. you don't have any right to do that. No, absolutely not. Yeah. This decision drew biting criticism from inside and outside the court. Justice Harlem Fisk Stone, a Republican who had been Calvin Coolidge's attorney general, denounced Roberts's opinion, striking down the farm law as a, quote, tortured construction of the constitution he was not happy holding nothing back honey wield your pen as the sword (laughs) or whatever the saying is (laughs) many farmers were obviously incensed on the night following roberts's opinion a passerby in ames iowa discovered life-size effigies of the six majority opinion justices Hanged by the side of the road. You know, it's just a subtle, just a subtle hint about what the Whoa. country was feeling. Whoa. Just a Talk subtle about, hint. My God. Like, yeah. yeah. Fury at the court intensified when, in its final action of the term, it handed down a decision in the Topaldo case. Until that point, defenders of the court had contended that justices were not opposed to social legislation. The jurists merely wanted such laws to be enacted by the states, not the federal government. Yeah. So they were arguing that, like, the, the federal government doesn't have any right to, like, do any of this. It should be left to the states. And people, sure. like, were really upset by what the court was ruling, but I think they 
what this article in Smithsonian Magazine is implying is that that still meant that like the states could eventually like enact some of these laws if they wanted to. Right. It's not that the court was like full of soulless human beings. They just thought this was going about it in the wrong way. Right. But in June of 1936, the court by a five to four struck down a New York state law providing a minimum wage for women and child workers. Yep. (laughs) Perfect. Yep. Laundry owner Joe Topaldo said the court could continue to exploit female workers in his Brooklyn sweatshop. The state was powerless to stop him. Love that. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? This guy, I love too that this guy is like, this, like, I could like he know he knows exactly what it is. I can continue to like pay these women nothing, and there's nothing that the state can do. To and stop. yeah, and the Supreme Court has said the state has no power here. Yeah. So now, what yeah. people thought was true of the court, which is like they just didn't, you know, states the whole states' rights argument isn't true because now they've struck down they've struck down a state law. Yeah. So, so now, now people are we've like, caught what? your hand in the cookie jar. Yep. Mm-hmm. Quote, if this decision does not outrage the moral sense of the country, said the Secretary of State, Harold Ix, then nothing will. Correct, Harold. Yes. Correct. Yes. If we can't even pay women, not only women, like, yes, women, but children. Children. We are not even talking about the fact that we're talking about child labor. Not only are we allowing child labor and saying is that acceptable, but we're not even paying the children or paying them like a fair wage. No. They're children. Yeah. No, they wanted to pay them nothing. I mean, like they or you know, as little as they could get away with. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm with Harold. Yep. People of all political persuasions were incensed. On its editorial page, the Knickerbocker Press, an upstate New York Republican newspaper, asserted, quote, the law that would jail any laundryman for having an underfed horse should jail him for having an underfed girl employee. Go off, Knickerbocker yep, Press. I know. It's, Go off. I love that quote. I love that quote. It's so good. Yeah. I also love... <laughs> The term underfed girl employee, I just feel like... I mean, sure. It's is, not it's not eloquent. <laughs> not eloquent nor ideal, but has a certain, you know, bitingness to it that sure. I really respect. Yeah. But <laughs> it's like, it's truly like... Oh my God. It's truly putting it into perspective, which is like, at this time, you could be put in jail yeah. for not feeding your horse. And you cannot be put in jail for not making sure your employee is fed and taken care of. Yeah. So, so the female employees are less valuable than the horses. Lizzie, didn't you know that? I thought I thought that. I I mean, they I taught that to me in fifth grade. I, you must it's have true. skipped that whole year because I was so smart. Yep, <laughs> I I missed the 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 grade where we learned that we're less than horses. Mm. Oh, <laughs> it's been such a drag <laughs> trying to catch up. <laughs> The DePaldo ruling persuaded Roosevelt that he had to act and act quickly to curb the court. As he told the press, the court had created a, quote, no man's land where no government, state or federal can function. Go in, FDR. He's yeah. seeing the weakness and he's going to attack it. Yep. 
he had been waiting patiently for popular dissatisfaction with the court to mount. Now, anger at the DePaldo decision surged. Yeah, people were mad. So he's Are like, we mad too? yeah, he's like, and he's seeing his opportunity. He's like, okay, mm-hmm. I am the president. We've got a really strong Democratic House and Senate, and people are angry at SCOTUS. Now is mm-hmm. the time I'm going to strike. The iron is red hot. Red hot. Yeah. In February 1937, Roosevelt created a furor by proposing a reorganization of the court system that would have included giving him the power to appoint up to six new justices, thus giving the court a liberal majority. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So this is like where we talked about before the stuff that he wanted to do. This is this is where this is it. He's like trying to do how we got to the point. Yes. Some Democrats and a few liberal Republicans in Congress supported the proposal, but a strong coalition of Republicans and conservative Democrats, backed by much public support, bought the so-called court packing plan. Yeah. And we know how that turned out. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It turned out not great for FDR. It turned out they were like, FDR, no. And also, who are you? And also, how dare you? And then yep. World War II happened, and they said, you know what, FDR? It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. We have to we have to deal with our issues abroad. We'll talk about this later. Yeah. So let's bring it to modern day, shall yeah. we? Let's do it. So like we talked about in the beginning and kind of throughout, court packing is not it's not a new plan. It is not a new mm-hmm. idea. Roosevelt tried to do it. But it has had a, a resurgence, as you would say. During the Trump years for, you know, if you're a liberal or a Dem or you are left of center for pretty obvious reasons. And so we're just going to talk about what it looks like in modern day eyes and then some of the other proposals that have been put forth by various people and other ways to reform the court that aren't packing it with a bunch of new people. So we're going to talk about this first part is coming from The Atlantic. It's an article by Ryan D. Dorfler and Sam Moyne, and it's called Reform the Court, Don't Pack It. So here's what they have to say. So there are generally kind of three basic ways that people think about reforming SCOTUS. According to the fine folks at Atlantic, quote, one type of reform adjusts the personnel of the Supreme Court by adding justices, choosing them differently, or shortening their terms of office. Those supporting the strategy believe that, quote, the Supreme Court has been lost to Republicans and the goal is to get it back. The revival of the New Deal president of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's 1937 proposal to pack the courts, for example, simply accepts that federal courts wield tremendous policymaking authority. The goal, thus, is to wrest partisan control away from conservatives, either in order to claw back ill-gotten gains or because the practical outcomes of conservative judging are viewed as bad. So basically, the way that they're describing court packing as happening now is it's this, you know, liberal endeavor that's meant to right the wrongs as liberals see them that have been perpetrated by conservative justices. But I think you could very well say the same thing is true of the of the Republicans and conservatives. Like, I think they they very much are doing the same thing. They very much want to pack the court, not like by adding more people, maybe, but by working with like, that's why McConnell's like, I know we said we didn't want to appoint Merrick Garland, like we weren't going to give him the time of day to have his, you know, day before the Senate. But he's he's like completely willing to be hypocritical. And now that, you know, notorious RBG has passed, let's 
fill her seat right in the months they also leading up want to the election. A very strong majority in the Supreme Court. Both sides want more of their people. Yeah, both sides want more of their than people than the others. Yeah. yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, of course, yeah. you, of course, you want more of your own people deciding things in the highest court. Like that is that's completely normal. It's this like what I disagree with about this description in the Atlantic is like it's it's somehow a lib- like uh, like exclusively meant to be a liberal thing. Right. Well, it is right now because it's just contextual. I mean, uh, the not, context of it. What, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it is the the liberals who want to add more justices to the court potentially. Yes, and like the who traditional are pushing that. Yeah, in the traditional like court packing sense. Yes. Yes. So the second kind of reform for SCOTUS disempowers the institution itself. So like when you're talking about adding people to the court, you're basically also keeping the court the status of the court at its same level. There's another method of reform that quote involves removing certain cases from its jurisdiction requires a greater number of justices to agree in order to interfere with democratic choices or letting Congress override any glaring mistakes. Sure. So it's like, it's literally like a checks and balance to just the Supreme Court. Yeah. It's not, and you know? it, it's like, and I don't know, I don't, like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like part of the, like, like even if you added six justices to the Supreme Court, I don't, as a as a like way to lessen the workload like that to me then implies like you're still splitting up justices like not all of yeah. the justices are deciding all of the cases and that to right. me seems very not okay like if i yeah like i, I want all eyes i want all of that like yes all all of them should be deciding the cases because yeah. i like i don't want like because all i foresee is a situation where it's like there's a pro-abortion case that goes to, like, the conserv like, you know, like, it just becomes yeah. super weird. Super messy, yeah. Yeah, and so this, like, and I don't, I don't, like, I, I don't know, like, this kind of second reform that they're talking about where you, like, limit what's within their right to see and, and hear, but then also Congress could potentially just, like, override a Supreme Court ruling feels like, what is the point of the Supreme Court then? Sure. Well, that's like the same of like, what's the point of a presidential veto? That to me, it's it's like a it's like another veto, you know, it's like, does it have to then go back to the beginning? You know, it's like, mm, yeah, that it's just, uh, I, you know, oh, to I me, it, it seems like a similar thing. It seems like a, it's another veto. It's a Supreme Court veto that then if that's what we have in place, mm. then it would go back to Congress to renegotiate like, oh, this part of it is unconstitutional. So let's go back and like work on that part. Yeah. Instead of just like, I mean, right now, if something gets struck down completely. Which is kind of what they do anyway. I mean, like. Sure. Well, they give like, I mean, you know, and most of the time it's like for this specific, very small reason, we're going this way or this way. But if it was this specific thing, it would yep. be different. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they give, they give the answers to the tests pretty much most of the time. Yeah. But yeah, this sounds like to me a veto system in which it would like Congress would then have to go back to the drawing board. But it, I don't think it would apply to, I don't know, it would just be, it would, it would just really reconfigure. A lot of things because also some of the things that we're seeing are like state stuff too. Yeah. yeah. So it's like then who does it go back to that state? Yeah. You know? Because you can't have Congress maybe. over – yeah, you can't have Congress override. Right. But then it's like this state does something different than this state. You know, then it gets like do all the states have to have the same rules of how they 
override a Senate veto. Right. Ooh, and then God. is is that states' rights or is that the federal, you know, like, <laughs> then we're back at, like, a federal thing. So. That just seems too messy. Like, it just seems like you're you're creating more problems than you're solving. Sure. Yeah. Like, I agree. that just seems like a messed up way to do it. So this is the last little bit from The Atlantic. They go on to say, quote, while the former would ideally help advance a progressive agenda, meaning, like, adding people to the... The court. The court. The latter aims at restoring the court's legitimacy as a nonpartisan, which is to say ideologically moderate actor. Both, however, take as a given that the court will continue to settle many of American society's most important and most controversial political questions. Yeah. Yeah. So those are like the two that the the dudes over at Atlantic highlighted in their uh, their article. So then there was this, like, third proposal that I found in an article from Brookings, and that is by Russell Wheeler. And I'm sure there's, like, more. There's so many ideas. There's so many ideas and proposals, but these were the ones that I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So this third proposal we're going to talk about, I feel like, is a little bit more, like, practical in its execution. And so it suggests that, quote, an 18-year term for, for the justices, followed by, if the justice wishes... Service on a lower court to honor the constitutional promise of good behavior tenure. Fully implemented, that arrangement would produce a Supreme Court vacancy every two years, barring unanticipated openings. That would lower the temperature of confirmation battles. Both sides would realize that the nominee would not be on the court for the quarter century or more that has become the norm. What's more, regular turnover would deter the search for young, less experienced nominees who might serve two or more decades, and it would bring new blood more often to an institution that was created when average lifespans were much shorter than now. Sure. Yeah. Correct. Right? Like, Correct. This, seems, this seems like like this is something that I could get on board with. Well, it's term limits. Yeah, it's term limits. It's term limits, yeah. but like on a rotating basis so that it's like there's yeah. always – I mean – yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's like we, we argue this thing of, like, term, li- term limits, you know, we've talked about it, we have episodes about it, it's the same thing with, like, why aren't there term limits for Congress, yeah. you know? And and I think the the, uh, the argument that they're making here is, is a similar argument that you can make towards Congress as well, and it's, it is this idea of, like, do we need term limits or do we need to like restructure how we elect people? You know, and does that trickle all the way up to the Supreme Court? I mean, I, you know me, I love <laughs> cut the limits, you know, cut up, you know, yep. but uh, I, I love this idea. I think it's, I think it's great. I think, I think it's a little easier to swallow here because you're talking about 18 years, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of time. It's still a lot of time. And it's yeah. not like they're going, it's not like 18 years and you're out. You have the option. You could go back to a lower court. And honestly, don't you think that somebody like a Chief Justice Don Roberts, if he was like mm-hmm. facing his 18-year term limit when he was supposed to be like leading the impeachment process, like part of me thinks that he would have been, like, been like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take my op I'm gonna option. I out. have to go. I have to go. It's my 18th year. It's so my 18th sorry. Year. So sorry. Call Clarence. He can do it. He would love. <laughs> He's gonna be great. He would He'll love. be super silent. He won't say anything. Really good public speaker. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the difference here between the term limits for Supreme Court justices and the term limits for members of Congress is that the Supreme Court justices aren't directly ele- elected. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm more inclined to vote to like 
be in favor of term limits for positions that aren't directly elected. Sure. Because there is no, like, I don't, I, like, yes, my, my senators from New York are, will vote on, you know, approval or confirmation for Supreme Court justices. But like, I am so, like, my vote for them is so far removed from that process that like, I don't actually have a say over, like, I never had any say over Clarence Thomas. Are you fucking kidding me? Sure. You were also, what, six? <laughs> I, I don't even, yeah. How and old? they did not hear you. And they did not hear you because I would have said no. But No, thank you. Thank you. But also, you know, the theory behind, you know, having two-year terms and even six-year terms in the Senate is that, like, you shouldn't need term limits. If, if like, right. the election process. Right, if they're doing process, a poor job, yeah. Yeah, like, if the election process ran as it should and and, you know, it was all, you know, funded properly or you know some if, right. if the the playing level you know the the level was the same for all of the people who wanted to run for whatever position you know if it was if it was a level playing field you actually shouldn't need term limits because people would just not vote for the person who sucked sure yeah but no i i i, I agree i hear that that's yeah. valid yeah i hear you so just to to give you a few <laughs> talk about two gents which I'm only talking about them because, well, the first one I'm like, why? <laughs> I know he did bring it up in in his he, uh, yeah his I'm, campaigning yeah, yeah it was he, it was he was like the first one to bring it up yeah so recently. that's why I put him in here and also because his idea is different like it's kind of a sure. fourth proposal or like an addendum to one of the proposals and then so and then of course Biden because he's running for president and he's we just gotta know his position on the whole thing so so. Pete Buttigieg, when he was on the campaign trail, he yeah, like Lizzie said, he was like the first, probably the only one to actually come out and say yeah, anything yeah. and related to like the structure of SCOTUS. And this is coming from the Atlantic. So he, so Pete Buttigieg, quote, endorsed a proposal during the Democratic primaries for the Supreme Court to consist of five Democrats, five Republicans, and five apolitical justices. The purpose of this reform is to make the court seem less ideological, structuring it to produce compromise outcomes and rescuing it from its unfortunate slide into politicalization, which like I get what he's doing with this idea. But I just like like show me like the whole idea behind the court that we have now is that they're supposed to be apolitical. Yeah, they're not supposed to be Republican or Democrat. They're supposed right. to be moderate or liberal in their interpretation of the Constitution. and. I guess on paper, that's not supposed to mean that every conservative justice is against abortion. It's supposed to mean that every conservative justice takes a more, like, you know, literal interpretation of the Constitution. Right. But right now we think conservative anti-abortion because that is like, I mean, I'm just using abortion as an example, but like, you know, like, that's just, that's, it's just like how we've, we've come to associate them and they've come to associate their rulings with with that you know like it's we should have more swings and that's true the liberals you know it's like we should have more swings it should not just be john yeah in a single little hammock swaying back and forth (laughs) like they should all technically be swings yeah but they're certainly not they're they're really not and i don't know how like i just feel like this proposal is like Nice in theory, but it only... It's really... I think it's impractical in practice. Because it's like, how do you prove 
who decides who's a Democrat, who decides who's a Republican, yeah. who decides who's atypical. Right. A- apolitical. Yeah. Yeah. Or sorry, <laughs> apolitical. Also atypical. <laughs> also atypical. Whatever. Um, oh, my God. It's yeah. just, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, like, I, I think it was great that he brought attention to it for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not on board with uh, number four. No, I don't like number four. Number four. I'm not, yeah. And so then the last, what we're not, the last thing we're going to talk about is Biden's stance on court packing because he is the Democratic nominee for president. And it's good to know where the man stands. Sure. So when, so this is a, a quote that's been, that I found in WAPO. Uh, Washington Post about his position. It's basically, it's like, I went to go, this is like one of those things that just looks funny now because of where we are in the election cycle, but it's like all of the Democrats who ran and like, they've got, if they're still running, they're like, picture is in color. And if they're not, it's like, (laughs) you know, shades of gray. And it's just like the single circle of Biden that's like blue. (laughs) Everybody else is grayed out. It was really funny. Anyway, so this is a a quote from Biden uh, that I found on WAPO. Quote, no, I'm not prepared to go on and try to pack the court because we'll live to rue that day. Biden, he was telling the Iowa starting line in July. At the October debate, Biden said, quote, I would not get into court packing. We add three justices. Next time around, we lose control. They add three justices. We begin to lose any credibility. The court has it all. Close quote. And like, I don't think he's wrong about that. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. Yeah. That's why I think it has to be, it's kind of as I was talking about earlier. It's like, why do you want to pack the court? Yeah. What's the motivation for that? I think the only way that it'll be truly successful if it's a true bipartisan yeah. effort, which won't exist. No, it would have to come at a moment where it's not, it's not so politically heightened. Like it would have right. to come at a moment where you kind of least expect it because otherwise right. it will just seem so reactionary. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that is court packing. Yeah. Packing the court. We packed it in. Yeah. You know, it'll be, we have quite, we have quite the road ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to see how the Supreme Court vacancy pans out. Obviously... When it's filled, you can expect a new SCOTUS biopic biopic heading your way. Thought I was done with them. Oh, my but God. We really did. We were like, we don't have I to was do like, this oh, for a while. What are we going to do next? Oh, God. All right. But uh, but so we can be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, we love you guys so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at let's get civical you can rate us you can review us and you can please please subscribe to us we love you so so much and we will see you next wednesday bye